This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. Welcome to The Times. To find out more, head to thetimes.co.uk. Welcome to the latest edition of The Times Opinion Podcast. My name is Tim Montgomery and this week I'm joined by our diarist, Patrick Kidd, parliamentary sketch writer Anne Treneman and columnist Matt Ridley. For a former PR man, David Cameron is stupidly unaware of the virtue of silence. By saying in an interview that he will stay on as Prime Minister for the entirety of the next five years but not seek a third term, he looks arrogant, presumptuous and entitled. By anointing Osborne, May and Johnson as his heirs to succeed in 2020, he creates an army of the resentful, who are doubtless already plotting against him. If you hold the balance, Alex Salmon said, you hold the power. Surely the Lib Dems would agree with that. Mr Salmon also pointed out that last year in the referendum, everyone was begging Scotland to stay in the UK and, of course, have seats in Parliament. Now we can't stand the idea that the SNP might fill those seats. Do we have an anti-Scots bias, or do we just hate Alex Salmond? The government's just made the biggest marine protection zone in the world round the Pitcairn Islands. Britain owns vast areas of sea in the South Pacific, the South Atlantic and in the Indian Ocean. So it has disproportionate responsibility for global marine conservation. The only reason Whitehall has agreed to this new reserve is because satellites can perhaps now monitor the fishing pirates so the burden won't fall on the overstretched navy. No take zones for fishing are desperately needed. They work, the alternatives don't and the technology to police them is coming. I'm looking forward to making my link between salmon and fish a little bit later. <laughs> but can we start? Can we start though? Uh, stop it. We haven't even <laughs> begun and you're already out of control. Um, Patrick, I want to start with the topic that you've, um, you've given us. Um, this was supposed to be the most disciplined Tory campaign ever. Linton Crosby was in charge. There were going to be one or two, three messages yes. about the economy, about the SNP, about David Cameron's leadership qualities. 
And well, what's, the cam- what's, what's David Cameron going to done? Well, the campaign doesn't start till next week, so they're getting the indiscipline out of the way early. Okay. Um, but there he was, in his kitchen, chopping carrots with a, his fellow Etonian. And I know that doesn't matter, but, you know, perhaps his, when you're in the club... His, his fellow Etonian being James the, Landale, BBC's the BBC's James Landale, de- former yeah. Times man. Lovely yeah. man. Um, and I can see how James Landale would seduce me over carrots to say something indelicate. <laughs> but uh, he, he went and said that not only is, is he keen on, on being Tory leader, Prime Minister for the foreseeable, but he will be Prime Minister for every day of the next five years, he said. Which takes us right up to the 2020 election, mm. even allowing for the possibility they might not win in 48 days' time. Um, and and then he went and, and named his successors for 2020, um, saying that, that George Osborne, Theresa May and Boris Johnson were the next in line. This seems to ignore so many rules of politics. It ignores the Fundamental week is a long time in politics mm-hmm. because actually, who's going to tell five years' time who's going to be in, 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 in line? It, it looks arrogant and presumptuous because it's suggesting that uh, the electorate won't reject him and that his party won't reject him. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just means that this is all we're going to talk about. We have coming up the, the first debates with the inverted commas around yeah. because there's not a debate. And I'm sure Jeremy Paxman and uh, Kay Burley are going to be talking about this rather than what they want to do for the country. It seems naive. And Trenman, is Patrick right? First of all, I'm pretty positive he wanted to say it. Mm. Um, when you actually watch the interview, he doesn't sort of just say, oh, it's a hard job being prime minister. Or I mean, he, I think he says something like, you know, I don't know how mad you have to be to do this job but or how mad it makes you. So, mm. you know, clearly he and Sam have been sitting down in their other kitchen and uh, chatting about, you know, the fact that he's going slightly bonkers or someone's going slightly bonkers in the family. And I think that um, he wanted to get it out there. Now, it's incredibly bad politics. I mean, there's just not, there's not even a word for how bad it is. Um, everyone will be talking about it nonstop. As Tony Blair discovered, naming the date you leave mm. is a mistake because everyone goes into You total, become a lame duck. You become a lame duck and everyone, for some reason, we can talk of nothing else. Um, I mean, we love... I mean, we in Westminster love yeah, process. Well can, well, can I just press you on that? Because you say we in Westminster. Isn't that yeah. the problem? I had a text from one of my aunts last night and she just said she'd seen David Cameron on the TV looked great hope he gets back really glad Man United won and all a lot of people will see was just some very beautiful pictures just saw a family guy wouldn't have and thought quite reasonable he's not going to do more than another more than five years oh yes I agree with you I think that that and I actually think most people will be quite refreshed I mean yeah, I think most people think, gay, he's going to, you know, after five years, because two, I think two terms, we are coming to a time when two terms is enough for everyone in the world. And, and he will have been leader of the Conservative Party for nearly 15 years by that time. Yes, that is a If you count thought. his, you know, period in opposition. As long as that, <laughs> she was bonkers by the end of that. But um, I think that he wanted to say it. I think that the, the, the nation did, took it in their stride. I don't think mm. anyone was out there screaming with pain or, or tears. But I think... Oh, I think an Australian, a certain Australian gentleman might have been screaming. The the first person, worryingly, the first person I thought of was Linton. I thought, my God, Linton Linton Crosby throwing the Mm. television, absolutely throwing it. You know, banning all all kitchens in all future interviews for anyone in the whole world. We'll never see another chopped vegetable on air again. Okay, it's, it's too it's nil against the Prime Minister's intervention. Matt, are you going to make it a hat-trick or are you going to stick up for what he said? Uh, no, I don't think I am going to stick up for what he said. <laughs> but uh, I think there's a couple of interesting angles on it. It, it. I suspect it has turned an inside Westminster story into an outside one, and that's what he didn't realise. He thought he was dealing with the, the problem of the rumours that he was going to go in 2017. He thought he was talking After to, the to EU Sam Camp. After the likely date for the EU 
after the referendum. After the, ele- the mm. referendum. Uh, and in fact, he's made it a, a sort of much wider story. Uh, hats off to James Landale, by the way, who's managed to get Absolutely. big stories out of kitchens on, on both <laughs> occasions. <laughs> but the other aspect to it is that um, uh, he... I've forgotten what the other aspect was. We're not going to have you back again, um, Matt. Um, w- w- will this, Patrick, be something that Ed Miliband will turn to his advantage in the inverted commas debates? Because... Um, no, because I don't think he can turn anything to his advantage. He's like Diana Ross in the 1994 World Cup opening mm. ceremony. He misses an open goal from six yards away. Um, I, I think Cameron will spin it round saying, you know, my party want me to stay and yours don't. So I don't think Miliband will, but mm. it, there'll be a lot of chatter, and, and chatter drowns out what he's trying to say about the economy and things like that. The, the, the other aspect that's quite interesting... Oh, you've remembered your other which is that it's... Uh, they were thinking... He, he was... It, it's... It's all about it being much more presidential these days. Mm. And that was Gove's defence when he was talking about it afterwards, was that, uh, On uh, night, yeah. that, you know, the American president knows when he's going to go. And in a sense, they're right in that the Fixed-Term Parliaments Act has changed the game a lot in that respect. A minority government is much more likely to survive five years, even mm. if it's limping on from day to day than it, than it would have been in the 1970s or whatever. And so in that sense, it really the man who gets elected uh, on May the 7th, uh, really is the president, if you like, for yeah. five years, um, if he wants to be. And and so th- there's an element that, that we haven't quite caught up with how much that matters, I think. Mm. Well, I feel constitutional crisis, sort of I, I, what you're talking about. I mean, I mean th- that is sort of, I think it's, I mean, I agree with you that it, it looks more presidential, but it's actually not presidential. It's a parliamentary system, and that's where the clash comes. Um, but the other thing I wanted to say was, Dave didn't need to tell us who were his, who were his successors. Yeah, were no, did Dave not. didn't need to be chatting about who he thought was. And I think, I mean, I know that I just think he did that because it's, well, I think everyone thinks that it's going to be Boris. And um, he just did that to mix it up. I did- completely believe Dave knew what he was doing. John Rental's theory, I actually sat next to him coming in on the tube today, <laughs> as you do. He's always got a great theory. And uh, his theory was when Blair, of course, made his announcement that he was going to retire in the next parliament, he was very unpopular. And what he wanted to send out the message was vote Blair, get Brown. Because mm. believe it or not, Brown was very popular. Oh, yeah, I remember. As well. I remember. And, and so John's theory, I don't think I quite buy it, but John's theory is that Cameron is nowhere near as unpopular as Blair, but. No party leader is particularly popular at the moment, and he's saying, "Vote for me, and you will get Boris." That sounds to me a right a stretch say- too far. But is that um- no? But he's saying you will get Boris in five years' time, and not a day earlier. And quite oh, yeah, how they're going to do not, this changeover? I mean, will, will there be a new leader? That's not going to happen. I mean, that's not really well, I don't think it will he's happen. Got, but look, he's but got, he said it. He said, "I will do every day of the next parliament." Yes, I know. I know. But he had to say that. But just on on the leaders, because I, I was looking at every post-war Tory leader, with the mm. exception probably of Anthony Eden emerged in the five years before they were selected. Macmillan, Heath and Howard were certainly heavyweights five years before, but they, they weren't the obvious mm. successor. Uh, Heath had just been chief whip, and you know, they don't tend to become. Um, but otherwise, all the others, Thatcher, P- Peter Hennessy told one of his students, who passed on to me, that, that he thought Thatcher was the 16th most likely to become prime minister uh, in Heath's cabinet which is extraordinary. Major came five years before. He was mm. banging Edwina Curry. He wasn't really Prime Minister. The, um, David You're Cameron, five years... This is a family podcast, <laughs> uh, Patrick, kid. <laughs> five years before David Cameron became leader, he wasn't an MP. Mm. 
And so to to name three heavyweights and say they will get their chance, but in five years' time, shows a naivety about how politics works. Mm. And what about the Sajid Javids and, and the Andrew Letsons and the yeah. Dom Indeed, Michael and, Coves. You know, I mean, I know he rules himself out, but you never know, etc. <laughs> yeah. um, well, people who aren't really talking about them, Jesse Norman. the surest way to get there. Exactly. You need yes. to rule. It's absolutely, you must rule yourself out yeah. to get there. And what about, you know, Key. This, this young Manchester United fan who is going to be talked into standing in Dudley at the election, Tim Montgomery for Tory leader in five years' time. Oh Will you this, do it, Tim? This really is going to be your last podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Irreverent subject matter, and now that uh, no is the answer, definitely. I'm glad you're talk- ruling yourself out, Tim. I am definitely ruling myself <laughs> out. Um, one person who's ruling himself out of nothing is Alex Salmond. I know, it's, I'm um, just loving it. Are you enjoying watching this I extraordinary love it because phenomenon? I- T- I, tell us what you're most noting about this man well, loving being at the centre of attention. Well, first of all, everyone plays his game. Mm-hmm. We all hate him. Well, no, I, I actually don't hate him personally, but I mean, I think I think it's safe to say that Westminster is in a frenzy about mm-hmm. it. it. I mean, he has no actual role. He's not mm-hmm. the leader. Mm-hmm. He's not even the leader. If he gets elected, he's not the leader of the, the SNP. He's, mm-hmm. He is just the man who used to be the leader. And yet we all are pretending. Everything he says is treated as if, you know, God had spoken. So he's done this sort of incredible mm. sort of mischievous thing where he's pointed out the obvious, which is that, it, you know, everyone's now ruled out of coalition because coalitions are just so last year. So now everyone has <laughs> gone on to these other words we just now all have learnt overnight, mm. which is sort of the supply, the supply and command or whatever it is. Yeah. And, then, and now vote by vote. Mm. And so he sort of explains what vote by vote is, which is basically, it's all backroom deals. And But we sort of all knew that anyway. So he goes on Andrew Marr and tells the nation how he's going to wreck the budget for Ed Balls. And the whole world goes berserk. Mm. But I think we all knew that was going to happen. Well, his job is is to be a Madrid, saboteur, is it not? You know, I mean, that that's essentially the, their, their, their game plan is to spend the next five years in Westminster, making Westminster look bad so that, it, that Scottish independence will look more plausible. I mean, is it that cynical? I think that. I mean, the way they're they, coming down as wreckers. I think Matt's right. Aren't pardon? They? they are coming down to Parliament as wreckers. They're not coming to achieve anything. They want to make it all look. See, now this is where I actually do disagree. Okay, good. Because I don't. I think there is an anti-Scots bias. Mm-hmm. I mean, we did all. I mean, everyone wanted them desperately. I mean, they cancelled PMQs. They rushed up there. It was fervid. You know, they had to have they them wanted in the to union. save the union, yeah. But they cannot bear the idea that they actually have any power over the union. Mm. And that really, to me, is prejudicial. Dis- disrespectful. And it is, well, you know, this is a called. It's-, it's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. thing called a democracy, it's how it works. Mm. And um, The SNP are not Sinn Féin. Alex Salmond is not Gerry Adams. They, this is not an untouchable party. It's a mainstream far, social democrat party. They are far party. to the left of the other parties. Far to the left? Oh, well, uh, left, to the left, definitely. A little bit to the, the left. Used to yeah. They used to no. work alongside the Conservatives they uh, did. when they were a minority okay. government. And I, think, I think under Nicola Sturgeon they are probably more of a conventional left-wing party yes, than actually with oh, Alex Salmon. And Alex she... Salmon mixed it up a bit more. Um, yeah, he just loved... He loved to, he just, well, he just mm. loves the limelight, he loves people to hate him, he, mm. he loves just the game of yeah. politics and plays it. Nicola Sturgeon is a, is a different fish. I think she's extremely effective and by far the most effective opposition leader we've got. Matt, you, you're, you're based in the northeast, and one of the Tory hopes as they plot their path to an election victory is that English resentment at the prospect of Scotland getting even more favours with a Salmon Miliband type arrangement will push English voters to put their more English voters to put their cross next to the to the Tory column. Do you think that's a strategy that's going to work? You're you're right next door to this. Um, well, I live Scottish. Government. I live about fifty miles from the border, and it's certainly true. The closer you get to the border, the more English you feel in a, in a, in a strange way. In other words, you know, it's not as if we're half Scots in Northumberland. Mm. The, the Barnet formula is, you know, what we obsess about in the northeast because mm. it's a, a formula by which Scottish people get far more money than get we do, and we're more deprived in yeah. the northeast than they are, and we're very cross about it, even though dear old Gerald Barnet has now died, mm. um, and he always said it was a bad thing anyway. Uh, so the 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 you know there there are sort of nerdish things like that, but the general idea English votes for English laws. Um, I think does go down well in England. There's no mm. doubt about it. And and most people say, well, what's the what's the problem? Why can't you just have that? You know, it it it. But I have to say, when it came up after the referendum, and people, you know, said this is going to be an important election issue, it did sort of then fade. The, you know, the English uh, question. Yeah, the mm. English question. Uh, and the Scots, of course, are very cross with with. Uh, I mean, even. Conservative Scots, people like Michael Forsyth, etc., mm. are very cross with the idea that that you could sort of hurry through a constitutional change of, of, of this kind. Mm. Actually, isn't that how we always do constitutional change in this country mm. under under a deadline? I just, and I, gets I, to I, I just love the idea that uh, what is it about now? Um, Eighteen years after Scotland and Wales got devolution, that we are somehow rushing towards yeah. English <laughs> devolution. Yes. You know, this is this is an un, an unusual rush, if it is. Um, Patrick Kidd, do, do you have any of the misgivings that Anne hinted at, that the Tory campaign is somehow making out that an SNP component of a British government is illegitimate in some way? Yes, I, I, th- I think that they are. I, I'm not sure about their strategy of presenting Salmond as a visual sign of it, because I'm not sure the public actually really know who he is. Oh, I think they do. Don't they? I don't know. Given that I had in the, in, in the a diary item from Lord Ashcroft's polling that people didn't know the budget was happening last week, <laughs> I think away from those of us who live and breathe it, mm. they are aware that Scotland had a referendum. They are aware that um, 
that there's tension and there's certainly where as Matt says of English votes for English laws I can see that being very popular mm. but a picture of salmon I'm not sure he is the personification I hated the cartoon that um, the little video that Tory HQ put out I don't know whether anyone yeah. saw it with Bizarre. Them. but again the, it's been um, looked at relatively few Ed people Miliband, like a puppet but don't you think yeah. it was it is anti-Scott basically I mean because yeah. what well, often the way happens they ca- when people come in to, to power like the Lib Dems mm. they suddenly become all I mean it's not going to happen quite like the SNP with the Lib Dems but I bet that they do leave a lot of, of English laws to the English mm. votes and, and decide not to vote on them, which they often do now anyway. Mm. And, you know, they will get involved in their issues without question. Do, I, so I was going to say, I think there is a problem for Labour that they're reaping what they sowed in Scotland mm-hmm. because around the time of devolution, and in fact 10 years before that with the poll tax, they made it very clear Tories were evil in mm. Scotland and they are the enemy and we must fight against them. And so as a result of that, they haven't got their now establishment Bullock mm. to fight against in Scotland yeah. because they've nearly killed off the Tories, and, and so that they should be using the Tories more to to, to fight back against the SNP themselves. And and Trenderman, how shell shocked do you think the Labour Parliamentary Party is about this? Because I can sort of from a to- a Tory perspective, complete if, denial. If, if the Tories were losing <laughs> seats or set to lose seats across Surrey and Sussex and Who? Kent, the Tory psyche you, would be fundamentally destabilised. Is that what it would be like if you kept? will go online to get 40 seats. Yeah. I mean, you kept, might get three or four. I yeah. mean, Nigel Farage thinks way more, but, you know. Yeah. Um, but you just imagine the panic that would be taking place in the Tory party. Mm. That is the panic that is pretending not to take place in the Labour Party. There mm. is, I would say, just complete denial start happening yeah. <laughs> if only um, dear listeners you could see the little facial expression that Anne <laughs> pulled then um, and so I, but I think you know they're really between a rock and a hard place mm. Matt you agree with that uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's it's interesting that the Scotnats have never put anybody into the House of Lords. They've they've deliberately turned down invitations mm. to appoint peers. So when these matters get discussed in the House of Lords, it's like the sound of one hand clapping. You know, everyone <laughs> agrees. You know, mm. you know, we must save the union. Blah blah blah. Mm. And nobody gets up and says, "Well, hang on, what about you know the case for an independent Scotland, mm. uh, etc." And I think Anne's right. There is, it's it's the the more we obsess about it, the more the Scots feel persecuted uh, mm. by it. And and they, people haven't just haven't plugged in to the extent to which in Glasgow, people now think of it as entirely through the lens of a referendum, through the next referendum, and, yeah. and in that sense, they they won the last one. Have the Tories made a mistake in being so emphatically anti any deal with the SNP? It's possible that they might need it, and it's possible, you know, that they could get the sort of federalism. Well, that England uh, yeah. and Scotland might both benefit. From. I wonder what Anne thinks about this. That actually, that is Anne, uh, Alex Salmon's best best dream is that David Cameron does become prime minister because he's the largest party, uh, but is essentially sort of propped up by uh, the Scott Nats mm. every now and then, uh, with the result that uh, <laughs> they can twist and turn and make a mess of things and use English Toryism as a uh, that seems uh, as a bogeyman. That seems logical to me, uh, Patrick, but. Could the SNP, would the SNP ruin themselves if they, even getting more devolution, which would be a big win for them, but even if they got that, if they were seen as to be keeping a Tory prime minister in office <laughs> rather than putting Ed Miller, wouldn't that be well, they may the end do. for them? But the thing is, they are likely to go from, it's half a dozen MPs they have at the moment, right. isn't it, um, who all been there a while, up to 40. There's a lot of candidates who are going to be MPs we know nothing about. The Mm. Scots know nothing about. The candidates know nothing about them themselves, Mm. whether they can be... I don't think they've actually considered how what what it's like to be 
to be a parliamentarian. Mm. And a bit like with Labour after 97, there'll be people who didn't expect to get in a year or yeah. two ago. Peter, who are Mandelson be on, Peter Mandelson famously on the night of 1997 saying, who are all these candidates? Yes. <laughs> that just become MPs. So well, that, was a, that was a fascinating... Who's going to answer? It wasn't the answer to the question well, I gave you. But it's um, a political answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, briefly, um, we must move on to your topic, um, Matt. Um, in Monday's Times, um, your regular slot, you wrote about overfishing and the role that you see technology playing in addressing this problem. Yeah, it was something that, was, that came out with the budget. It wasn't actually mentioned in the budget speech. That Britain's just created the largest ever marine protection zone mm. in the world. So we forget we own about half the ocean because of Ascension Island and uh, Diego Garcia and Pitcairn and all these different things that we still own. You uh, literally mean um, we own about half of the ocean? No, I mean we own, we have we own a disproportionately large share of the okay. ocean. Um, what, what, uh, some, what, what is disproportionately large? I mean, something like ten times our land area, whereas okay. America has about half its land area at oh. sea, if you see what I mean, okay. around Hawaii and so mm. on. Um, uh, and um, Pitcairn, which is where the mutineers from the bounty ended up and mm-hmm. their descendants still live, um, has is in the middle of this vast chunk of ocean where fleets of Chinese, Japanese, Russian, Indonesian uh, ships go and hunt bluefin tuna with no care to whether how many turtles they're killing and mm. how many uh, how, uh, whether they're damaging the stock of bluefin tuna. And we have this horrible history in the sea of overexploiting fish yeah. stocks again and again and again. Um, and at the moment it's pretty hard to see whether you can do anything about it because you you know you send out a frigate and it's never going to find all these mm-hmm. fleets uh, but the what i'm told persuaded the government that the, the civil service that this could be done uh, was that there is now private sector technology in the form of satellites that enables you to track what's going on in these places and to at least make a protest uh, about what's going on and i think that is going to be we're going to have to uh, protect bits of the ocean all over the place anyway to, f- to recover fish stocks. It, we now know it works. Mm-hmm. There are lots of conservation zones, like there's one off, off uh, Baja California in Mexico, where the number of fish has gone up enormously, particularly big fish, you know. Mm-hmm. And so we're sort of beginning to see what we're missing. It can, it can, by, it by can be pro- done. So basically. it can be done. The question is how you police it, and that's where the technology might be just about to come to the rescue. And, and is Britain a world leader in this technology, or are we just a world leader in applying it in this way? I suspect mm. that, uh, that that it's one of these things that's international, that, you know, somebody in MIT is talking to somebody in Oxford, you know, mm. etc. So uh, I don't think it particularly matters where the technology comes from. It's just a matter of how to put it together and make it, make mm. it work. Um, every EU ship, I think, has to have a satellite transponder on it, and, you, and I think it even has to have a CCTV camera on it, so you can see what they're catching. But that is not the case for these high seas fleets of mm. effectively pirates that are out there. And uh, it's going to be very hard to know how we um, uh, catch them and do something with it. Mm. Um, Patrick Kidd, are you um, as uh, encouraged as Matt is at these developments? I hope so. I found your, your, your comment piece on this is absolutely fascinating because it's not an issue I would ever really think about. And I think as a nation, we don't think, think about fish dying out. We always say there's plenty more fish in the sea as a cliche. We get very upset about the bumblebee and uh, disappearing and, and no one really talks about... Badgers. Badgers. Hedgehogs. Yeah, no, on land, badgers. On land we're not doing a bad job actually yeah. of conservation. But, but at sea it's just getting worse and worse. We're, we're scraping the seabed we're yes. just getting rid of coral reefs there's all sorts of things going on 
one of the problems is that technology hasn't been helping. So when the cod was starting to get scarce, the authorities in Canada said, hang on, these cod are in trouble. And the, the industry said, no, they're not. We're catching just as much as ever. And the reason was because their technology was getting better, so they were better able to find the last cod, mm. if you see what I mean. Yeah. So it didn't become apparent till the very end mm. how much of a problem it was. It was. I, I also am I'm slightly surprised that, as you say, this was in the budget statement, in, in, the, in the, the Red Book, but it wasn't mentioned at the dispatch box by George Osborne. Given it's, it's good news, there's no votes in fish, but it's something to, to talk. And not least, it would have allowed him to make a joke about Ed Miliband's not the only one sleeping with the fishes tonight or something. <laughs> Like, I, I, don't, I think you don't. Your career as a, as a speechwriter is faltering already. I think. I think compared to those kitchen he, he jokes, you couldn't work a kitchen into the story. <laughs> <laughs> and the, well, I love this. Flush. I like the idea of the sort of police, the environmental police, with the satellite trackers out there. Mm. Sort of a new kind of pirate. So, I don't know, Johnny Depp. We need to get Johnny Depp involved in some way. <laughs> 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 I don't know what we call it, sort of green pirates of the Caribbean, I don't know. Well, it's on great that news. elevated note, we have to finish today's uh, <laughs> podcast. But uh, can I just say to all those Times subscribers who are listening, if you go to thetimes.co.uk slash comment central, um, I'll put some lists up there to background reading articles that you can access, including Matt's article on fishing. All it leads me to say is to thank Anne, Matt and Patrick very much for joining me. Thank my producer, Alec Jakes. And most of all, thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with, amongst others, as guests, Danny Finkelstein and Libby Purvis. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.